Welcome to the Hiker Trash Podcast. This is a project of Local Exposure Magazine. My name is Ronnie Pettit, and I'm your host. The Hiker Trash Project began with my curiosity about why people through hike the Appalachian Trail, or any long trail. I wondered why they do it, what they gain from it, and how that experience might manifest itself in their life after the trail. I spent an entire year following, photographing, and interviewing through hikers on the Appalachian Trail from Georgia to Maine and all the way back to Georgia. I put all that, those interviews and photographs, into a 200-page coffee table book. And now we're going to continue the project as a podcast. So listen along as we track down some of the people we met along the way and interview new hikers and find out, did that experience change them or... Did it simply provide the context to reveal who they already are? You can find out more about Local Exposure Magazine on the internet at localexposuremagazine.com. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at local.exposure.magazine. The intro music for today's episode was provided by Scott Lowe. He's a Northeast Georgia-based singer-songwriter. You can find him on Instagram at Songs. Again, welcome to the Local Exposure Podcast. This series is called Hiker Trash, and today we have Fern and Gypsy. Say hello, guys. Hey, how's it going? Howdy. Uh, it's really, really awesome to be able to talk to you guys again. Can you um, yeah. tell us your like real names, <laughs> if you will? Well, Do you still use your real names? Uh, from time to time, you know, it's uh, it drifts in and out. Yeah, and then on occasion, <laughs> I find myself at Panera Bread announcing Fern as my name, and it kind of just comes out sometimes. Oh, but really? Yes, we do use our, our government-issue names. <laughs> Which is Caroline? Um, Caroline and Evan. So when you, uh, we'll talk about your trail names in just a second, but when you refer to your trail names, do you say... Like past tense or present tense? You say my trail name is or my trail name was? I mean, is for sure. I I always feel like it's a, a part of me. Yeah, definitely. Hiking will always be a part of us. You know, it's our current name. So let's get, let's go back a little bit for people that don't know. Um, you guys were already dating before you started hiking the trail. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. So that's right. Yeah. What was, uh, what happened or what was going on or how did the idea to through hike the Appalachian trail, you know, come into your minds? I mean, it, I guess it started with, um, the New Hampshire 48. Um, that was our, our initial obsession, uh, before we set our sights on the, on the AT. All right, explain the New Hampshire 48. What is that? So it's the 48 peaks above 4,000 feet in New Hampshire. Um, and uh, I think about 26 of those peaks are actually um, on the AT. Wow. So um, 
yeah on 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 our hikes we just um we just got used to following the white blazes i guess yeah and we were obsessed like every weekend we really looked forward to it because evan was still working he was still also in the national guard so we were juggling that so um it wasn't every weekend we had to finish this list but we still were able to do it in 11 months and Somewhere along those lines, you know, we'd finish our hike on Saturday, come back to his apartment Saturday night in Manchester, and we'd put on a documentary on YouTube. And one of those nights, it was an Appalachian Trail one um, from Dixie or Homemade Wanderlust. And um, because of her documentary, we started becoming obsessed with the trail. And and those peaks, what'd you call it again? The New Hampshire Forty Eight. Yeah, that's right. Uh, is that is that like the equivalent of people in Colorado climbing all the fourteen thousand foot peaks? That'd be similar. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, it pretty much, yeah, just on a, I guess a, a lesser scale. But like in New England, the uh, four thousand feet is well above treeline, isn't it? Um, it really depends. It's um, I mean some some mountains are well into four thousand feet and still in the trees. Um, yeah, it it really depends on the points. Gotcha. But the climb is incredibly rugged over here. Oh, I imagine so. So you guys are like, that's kind of your hobby. You're climbing these peaks. You see these white blazes. Your curiosity is peaked, and it's like let's just follow that trail. Is that kind of how it went? Yeah. I mean, there was no definite moment that I could say we were like, we're doing this. It was kind of implied for the longest time. And we just started like buying gear and preparing. And then one day it was like, well, let's start our lighter pack list, you know, for the gear we're bringing. And there was no definite moment where I really told my parents either. We just started preparing, you know, and then mm -hmm. um, it, it was, was it was almost subconscious. It really. was because everyone asked like, OK, so, you know, which person did you have to convince to do this? But mm -hmm. we were both equally as invested. And you just basically said, let's set a date and go. Yeah, and that was it. And about a month before, that's when, you know, our families believed that we we're actually going to do this. And, oh, man, I don't know if they're going to pull it off. So before these uh, hiking, these 4000 foot peaks, those are pretty much day hikes, correct? Yep. So what about like overnight backpacking experience? Did you have much of that? <laughs> yeah, no, we were uh, we had zero. Nice. Um, we we had one uh, night, uh, a one two day backpacking trip, um, doing the bonds. But um, yeah, other than that, that that was it. <laughs> so did you just watch uh, YouTube, you know, videos and things like that to figure out the you know the gear that you would need. Honestly, it was just um, it was YouTube everything. Um, that's. That's that's what we use. That was our major resource. I mean, th there's a lot of um, of good free content on there that we took advantage of. Yeah, I've met many people who did the same thing. I was surprised at how many people I met had little or, or no uh, overnight backpacking experience. Yeah, it seemed to be pretty uh, pretty much the norm. 
uh, there, there was a lot of people on trail that that was their uh, their first time or um, you know one of their first. So as you guys started out, like in the first weeks or so or week, you know, what did you struggle with as a newbie? Um, oh, packing your fears, <laughs> definitely. Pack, I'm packing your fears. <laughs> Mm -hmm. that's what they call it yeah they say you pack what you're afraid of so you know someone who's afraid of being cold would pack too many layers same for someone who's afraid of running out of food yeah i think that was us too plus the uh the resupplies were um, were a bit too much in the beginning yeah yeah we, we we put together about 25 resupply boxes before the trail uh and and we we didn't we didn't know how much food we were gonna need, so we just kind of guessed. And um, yeah, it it was a lot of food. So so we were stuffing hiker boxes full in the beginning because we just had um, way too much food being sent to us. Yeah, it was kind of nice though, because you know you'd meet folks on trail who who needed resupply and. Maybe the only option there was overpriced. So we kind of got to do a little bit of magic of our own along the way. <laughs> oh, that's nice. Uh, and people would be finding like uh, like packages of um, like homemade snacks. Yeah, and, and it has my handwriting on the edge. And, like, we'd and... see someone on trail, like a random person eating one of our meals <laughs> that we made. <laughs> that's that's awesome. that, that was nice. That tip, first trail tips are appreciated. <laughs> Oh, I remember, yeah. <laughs> uh, I remember, Fern, that you told me that you and your dad spent a lot of time coming up with recipes and making, like, uh, dehydrated or freeze-dried meals. Is that right? Yeah, we did. And we were able to really have some nice bonding time because my dad was an Eagle Scout, and I know he always wanted to do the trail. So this was a great way of us kind of standing together, and he felt good about it, too. You know, his daughter's not going to die out there. <laughs> so that's, that was nice for us. That's awesome. I remember you guys shared with me a, uh, like, angel hair pasta, cheese, chickeny something. Angel hair delight. I swear I have been trying to figure that mm -hmm. out and recreate it ever since then. That's, like, been a year. We we have to. Um, we, we didn't keep the recipe, unfortunately, but we we can figure out kind of. Yeah. It's just cheese and angel hair pasta, crap ton of dehydrated butter, a bunch of vegetable, freeze dried chicken or freeze dried beef. Mm -hmm. But we have some more still in our vault, so we'll bring another one for you at Trail Days. <laughs> nice. So, at what point along the trail, either miles or days or weeks, that did you start to feel like really comfortable? Like, you know, this is just what I do now, and I'm comfortable in the routine and my gear, and not too worried about my fears, and we're just we're just moving along, and everything's you know pretty copacetic. How long did that take? I'd say probably after the first 500 or so miles for me. That's uh, what, somewhere in Virginia? Right about, yeah. Yeah, probably southern Virginia. I think v Virginia was testing grounds for, for some people. For me, I feel like it was a little bit different. Like, as far as feeling at home and the routine and coming to terms with our reality, I was totally like good with it after a hundred miles. I'm like, this is what we're doing. We're hiking to Maine. I love living, you know, outside day after day. This is great. 
Um, getting my trail legs was a different story that took me, I want to say a thousand miles to feel like I was a strong hiker. As far as feeling like at home out there, it was almost instantaneous. What about hygiene showers or wet wipes or whatever? Was that, was that a difficult, uh, transition or adjustment? Not, not really. Honestly, I guess we're kind of gross in real life. So. <laughs> You're real hiker trash. <laughs> yeah no you just get used to the the grime and feeling kind of dirty and sweaty and you know it just feels uh normal after a while i guess you're not out there to impress anyone and i don't know i feel like my real raw and true self out there so it's like mm -hmm. there's nothing to be ashamed of what about your your jobs and such like how were you able to just check out for six months well, I work freelance as an animator, so I make my own hours. So it was really a piece of cake for me. I was still living with my parents, too. Um, but for Evan, you know, he was kind of in a transitional period. But, you know, he basically had to pack up his whole life. So that was a bigger story for him. Yep. I, uh, I quit my job and I gave up my apartment, moved out all my stuff into the smallest storage unit I could buy. And that, that was it. With, that, with, we left. Uh, with no um, plan B, no like plan for when you came back job wise. No, nope, not really. I just, uh, I guess for me, I was just, uh, I knew I'd kind of figure it out on trail. I guess there's uh, you know, you have a lot of free time, <laughs> you know, a lot, a lot of time to just think and, Fern, did you uh, did you just like set the business aside or did you try to do some work remotely? Oh, no, I did not. I totally put animation on hold, but we did film and record our entire hike. Uh, and we decided to put out a video for every single day on the Appalachian Trail. So I actually hiked along a little iPad mini with me the whole way. And each night in our tent, I edited the video together for that day. And then in town, we would upload videos in one-week batches and schedule them to go out for every day. So okay. uh, that was kind of a job in and of itself. It was really hard. Mm. And uh, I did have to stop when we got to New Hampshire because the service was just too spotty for us. And... We were we were pretty burnt out at that point and and I really just wanted to immerse myself in the hike. So I don't regret recording our whole hike though. I mean it's gonna be really magical to share that with our kids one day. Did you resume at some point? Resume the, the recording? We did, yeah. We just posted the end of our hike when well after we were done, like a month after. Mm -hmm. So is there this, was a bit of a holding pattern. Is this uh on YouTube? Yes. When we were on trail, we were under Gypsy Trails, but we recently um, had a rebrand and now we're hiking homesteaders. Search that on YouTube. Now we try to post not only hikes, but also homesteading content. That's kind of been um, where our our transition has gone to. But it's all on the Again. same on the same um, account? Yes. You can find us at Hiking Homesteaders on YouTube. Okay. You heard that, people. Hiking Homesteaders. YouTube. 
Let's uh, let's fast forward a little bit to when we met. Let me tell my side first. I had been camping at Abal Bridge, which is where the 100-mile wilderness, the northern end of the 100-mile wilderness, just before you go into Baxter State Park. So you're basically 14 miles or so away from Summit. So it's the day before most people summit. I'd been camping there for weeks, and I was feeling a little stagnant, I guess, uh, in terms of, you know, I would catch people and photograph them, and they weren't really in a place to sit down and talk. So I'd get, you know, contact info and say, I'll catch you later or, you know, I'll email you later. Before I left Georgia, I thought, hey, I'm going to Maine. I'm going to, like, go be a tourist for a minute. So I had made reservations for Acadia National Park. And it was, I didn't even think about it, but it was it was right coming into, like, peak leaf season. And as as the days grew closer and closer for me to, you know, go make that reservation. I was just going to go for two days, three days. Um, but it was like a six, eight hour drive from where I was. As time grew closer, I just started to dread going. And so I wrestled back and forth. I even posted a thing on Facebook for my friends, like, should I go or should I not go? One side of me is like, man, you'll never see this again. Go see it. Other side of me was, I don't want to be a tourist. I'm not interested. I love exactly where I'm at right now in, in central northern Maine. And I do not want to leave this project. I don't want to walk away from this project for a week. At some point, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm just going to force myself to go. I'm going to make myself go. Just go. So I drove into Millinocket, and I went to the uh, what was then the, the AT Hostel and Lodge, interviewed those people, and spent an hour or so with them, and I was like, okay, well, I got to go, guys. I got I to gotta get on the road, you know, to Acadia. And as I was walking to my truck, I had this, this, like, dread. It was like I was going to the principal's office. It was like, I, I can't. Something in me, I can't. I just can't. I can't. Yeah. And so I got to yeah. my truck, and I said, I'm not going. I'm just not going. I'm not going. I'm going, I'm going to the grocery store. I'm going to go buy a bunch of stuff and I'm going back into the hundred mile wilderness. I'd already been once before for a couple of days. So I'm going back to the hundred mile wilderness and I'm going to go do some trail magic. Screw it. I'm not going. So that's what I did. I went to the grocery store, bought a bunch of stuff that I thought people might like if they were in the middle of the nowhere, which is the hundred mile wilderness. So I drove out there and they charge you to go in to drive in. And so the first time I went in, they charged me like $16. This time when I went in, they charged me double, like to go theoretically to go in and out. And, you know, it was like a, felt like a scam, but I got a map and I said, I want to find the most remote, you know, road crossing, like all the crossings in the hundred mile wilderness are remote, but I wanted to find like a one really way out there. So I did. I drove out there, and there's a little parking area, so I parked. The first night, I got there late afternoon. The first night, like, one couple came through, and then one other hiker. Like, okay, that's fine. Next morning, I got up, got set up, and, you know, pulled all my goodies out and waited and waited and waited and waited, and, like, nobody came. And it's like, I don't know, 1 or 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and still, like, nobody had come. And I'm like, Man, what a mistake. I have totally screwed up. So I walked up the hill with Hutt to let him, you know, use the bathroom and take a little walk. And while I was up the hill, I saw, you know, a, a, 
you know, two hikers come out of the woods and I was like, Oh oh, yeah, cool. So I started back down there. By the time I got to my truck, there was like six hikers. And then by the time I started (laughs) passing out things and, and whatnot, uh, turned around, I, I don't know. I think there was probably what, 14, 16 of you guys. And, uh, it just turned into a, uh, it it kind of turned into a <laughs> it turned into a little Ooh. bit of a party. <laughs> you were a vortex. <laughs> <laughs> I was a, I was my own vortex, but you you guys were two of the people that came out. One of the reasons Fern you stuck out in my mind was that the night before I had a lot of vegetables and things out, and two hikers came out and I said, "Take what you want," and they took a lot. They took probably half of what I had, and I was like well, that's fine. It's cool. And when you guys walked up, there was like a half of tomato sitting there that had been cut. And I was like, yeah, take that. And you like just cut a little slice off of it. Didn't even take that. And I was like, oh, wow, that's really conscientious or <laughs> considerate or kind. I mean, I mean, you know, you could have the, but anyway, that stuck out in my mind, but what was your take on it? Oh, man. I mean, the 100-mile wilderness is a beautiful and wonderful place. But as a thru-hiker, you're incredibly burnt out and and really worn out at that point. And I remember, yeah, that morning, it was just for us, hustle, hustle, hustle. And just the constant, I mean, trail is not easy either. I mean, they tell you the 100-mile wilderness is flat, but... In my experience, it was anything but, and the trail is just rugged. There's roots poking out every which way. Like, you really have to be careful. And we were having, like, an okay day, but I remember Close Call was way up ahead of us. He was a guy that uh, actually sticked with us since the Virginia Triple Crown, and we finished the whole trail together. But he had gone way ahead, and, and then I remember... Just seeing all these crazy, like, vintage cameras out in the middle of this dirt road and thinking, oh, my goodness, what's going on? (laughs) That was was a garage sale. (laughs) (laughs) And then, yeah, I I see Hut, you know, roaming around. I see you in close call talking and all the hustle and bustle and you just pull out all these wonderful snacks and, and the oh, boxed wine. The block I mean, of cheese. Block what of is cheese, wilderness? Yeah. So in, in the South, they had all these uh, signs put up at different trailheads and they would say, what is wilderness? And it kind of turned into this whole joke for us um, because they have these funny, you know, descriptions like, Wilderness is a place where man is only a visitor. When we got to the real wilderness in Maine, we had all kinds of jokes about it. But now we say that a hundred mile wilderness is full of vintage cameras and Ronnie and a hut. (laughs) Meeting you guys and the other people I met on that one single day for me was just confirmation that I had made the right decision not to go to Acadia. Um, And the people I met that day, I have stayed in touch with and um, you know, it's not very often that I get that kind of feedback, you know, on a decision I make that like, yeah, that was right. That was a good decision. And for whatever reason, Mm -hmm. that's one of them for me. That was definitely a day that stood out um, for us. 
you know, over our, our, our whole hike. Oh, it meant so much to us. Just that simple act of kindness and being there for the hikers. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a real person. Mm-hmm. Another another cool thing was, you know, as you guys hiked away and I packed up, I went back to A-Ball. So I got to see that whole group again, you know, the next day or the next or the day, after, you know, two days later, I guess, which was the, you know, the day before you guys entered, you know, for your mm-hmm. summit day. And um, that was really cool, too. Yeah, we got to share a campfire together with Lightfoot and Swiss and Close Call. That was Yep. Beautiful right yeah. before our summit. We did some shots out of some 35 millimeter film canisters. Okay. <laughs> I remember that. And oh, yeah. I had been wanting to see a moose the whole time. I mean, I want to see a moose. I want to see a moose. And this guy pulls up on the road and goes, Hey, a moose is swimming across the river. I'm like, Weird. He goes, Right over there. So Hut and I take off in that direction, which was right where you were camped. And I missed it. It already happened. But Close Call was standing there. Were you guys standing? Did you see it also? It was just the three of us okay. in Close Call. Well, by the time I got there, he's like, hey, look at this video. And he just pulls up his phone, and there's this video of this moose. And just picture, you know, the the moose is backlit. The, the setting sun is behind it, so it's like these golden rays. The moose walks up out of the river up onto the level you know, area where the campground is. And then he just shakes and all the water sprays off. And it's like child looking at National Geographic. It happens like right in front of us. I couldn't believe it. And we had just gone through the whole hundred mile feeling so like worn out and disappointed. We didn't see a moose our whole hike and all of our friends had, of course. But yeah, that was a gift sent to us. I truly believe Mm -hmm. that. Yeah, it that day was not originally supposed to be our summit day. We had we had originally planned on summiting like two days a- after that day, but when we saw that moose, we we knew we had made the right decision to summit the next day. Yeah, it had been a tough like twenty four hours too because our dads were going to summit Katahdin with us, but um, Evans dad's flight got canceled because there was a tropical storm happening down south so you know we were pretty devastated with that news yeah it was it was okay though we we ended up summiting and our day was absolutely perfect yeah that's why we changed our date we Mm -hmm. just saw the mountain forecast and knew we had to spring for it right yeah i remember a few days before that people were having to hold off so let's talk about your summit day. Yeah. That was a you want to? Yeah. Tell, just, just, <laughs> just tell me the story. Well, um, I asked Fern to be my wife. On and the I summit. said yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes Evan, how did you pull this Sorry. off? Did you Were you planning this the whole time? Or was there at some point during the hike that you were like, I'm going to marry this girl and I'm going to ask her on Katahdin and blah, blah, blah. Honestly, it was my plan from the very beginning before the trail was even a real thing that was happening. Um, You know, I said to myself, like, what if we do this crazy thing? And then I ask her to marry me on Katahdin. And then 
once the trail became a reality, I was like, I, I guess I'm doing this. <laughs> yeah, that's that's just how it came about. It was so you were right. you were keeping a secret the whole time. Yes. Yeah. No, I uh, I didn't even tell Close Call who had, we had been hiking with for you know 500 miles at that time or 1500. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So but, did you I mean, carry a ring the whole way? So I received it in Hanover, New Hampshire. So that's uh, right as you cross over from Vermont, you cross the Connecticut River and you're in Hanover. And uh, we met up with Fern's parents. They uh, they brought the, the ring along with them. It was actually um, a family ring that we had uh, we had graciously gotten from uh from our aunt sue they uh they took that and uh put a new band on it at what point did you tell them that this was going to happen and you know talk about or work out how to get the ring i had talked to her dad before we left the trail we went out took a walk and i i you know i asked for her daughter's hand um for his daughter's hand in marriage and um yeah he he said uh he said it was okay and yeah fern you had no clue absolute no idea but it's funny knowing now that he got the ring in hanover because i remember getting back on trail that day and he was like unbelievably giddy <laughs> and um <laughs> it's hilarious I I like to take a lot of breaks and I think sometimes it would get on his nerves on trail and I was like you know it just hit me I was starving and we had all this great leftover pizza packed out with us and uh, he's like you know encouraging me like oh let's take a break right now right here and then he just I remember no one else was around us it was one of those moments where you feel like you, everything's technicolor around you. And he just grabs me, picks me up, and twirls my whole body around in a circle in this beautiful moss forest. The sun's, like, glistening around us. I felt like I was in a movie. Oh, wow. <laughs> in it's like a fairy tale. I just got it goosebumps. Was. <laughs> it was a beautiful moment. And I just, I didn't know, like, what came over him that day. And we were just so happy. Um, getting back on the trail after Hanover. And so that was a pivotal memory for me. That was a fun day. That was a really hot day. So, yeah, man, it must be tough to just hold on to that, that whole time. Yeah, no, it was, it was, it was, um, I, I definitely was careful where I left my pack. God forbid anything happened to it. Well, I think it's really cool that, um, the photograph of you on one knee on Katahdin is on the back cover. (laughs) Yeah, that was uh, that was a good moment. That was really sweet of you to yeah. include that, Ronnie. I wish I could have been up there. We wish you were too, but you definitely were in spirit. And just sharing that night prior to the summit together really meant a lot to us. Let's talk about after the trail. So you summit, where do you go from there? We figured it out on trail and her parents, Burns' parents, ended up uh, buying a house in Maine. They basically said to move in once once we finished the trail. So my folks were living in Plymouth, Massachusetts before, okay. and I didn't even know 
leaving for trail that they were just going to up and leave. So that was a big transition for me. But yeah. uh, my dad always wanted to retire up here. And so they found some land and uh, there was actually a house that they were closing on and the the owner never showed up to the closing, I guess, uh, was out drinking somewhere <laughs> and had a lot of trauma. And so they never closed on that first house. And then the next day, realtor brought him to this place. And it turns out that it had two homes on the property. It had a house, but it also had a cabin. And camp, as we call it. It was really another one of those moments where it was just, it was meant to be, you know. You start the trail leaving one place and you finish the trail and go back to a whole new whole new different life mm -hmm. yeah we all we when we found out that that was the case we started telling people that hey we're just walking home and it's really beautiful because the house we're in is only 20 miles away from the at and even more special our road is actually a trail crossing in maine so we actually hiked to our road and i remember that pivotal point reaching the crossing on trail and and we kissed our road once we got there and it was just like God. the most joyful feeling ever mm -hmm. what a yeah i live in the middle of the road and uh just i have a picture of myself right next to the double yellow lines <laughs> and uh just lying in the middle of the road so happy to be there and then this past year, we got to do some trail magic of our own from that road crossing. So it's like full circle. Tell me, uh, tell me about the the homestead. We've been doing a lot of stuff this summer. We've uh, been building a lot, and um, we got we got chickens, we got bees, uh, we tapped all of our maple trees. Yeah, this uh, this first summer being here has been um, been pretty wild to say the least and this We've is been, all new um, this is all new all new to you like you had no experience at any of these things nope no experience and kind of the first thing we threw ourselves into post trail was getting the sugar shack ready and evan always had a dream of sugaring as a kid and it just kind of made sense so we bought a shed off the side of the road and we insulated it converted it into a sugar shack and so he uh he tapped 80 trees over last winter and it was a huge success we made nine gallons of syrup and evan learned all that on his own from youtube yeah it was all youtube uh we we call it youtube university <laughs> Because that that's that's it. That's you know my my daily research in the morning while I'm having my cup of coffee or a cup of tea. Just go on YouTube and you know look up videos of uh, of what I plan on doing that day, whether it's something involved with construction or anything. Yeah, and it was the most natural transition for us going straight into homesteading and something I read recently really kind of hit home and it goes along the lines of back in the day work was tough on your body but it was easy on your soul and nowadays in what normal structured society is it's 
easy on your body. You know, you're sitting at a desk, but it's tough on your soul, just the whole monotony of it. So I think that kind of accumulates part of the reason why we're living the way we are, why we love homesteading. Yeah, I I think a lot of people that listen to this will be envious of a lifestyle that is so engaging and um, just all about learning something new and then executing that. Yeah, it's not all sunshine and rainbows. You know, it's it's really nail biting, uh, Mm -hmm. especially the last few weeks. We've been trying to get our septic tank in for the cabin and ground is going to be freezing and Mm -hmm. Our heating guy is coming soon, so we need to get, you know, water flowing as well. Um, So we have like seven days now to to get things wrapped up for our heating system. So it's been a real nail biter. Has uh, have you had snow yet? We have just a dusting, but nothing crazy yet. It stuck around for a few days though. It got really cold really quick. So we're we're pretty much on a on a ticking clock here with the with the ground freeze how much snow will that area get or does it normally get? last year was uh, a bit lower of a snow year but we still got a fairly decent amount it um it stuck around until at least mid-april i think that's kind of um that's when um our mud season is that's Mm. uh, that's maine's fifth season when the snow melts before it dries it's just mud 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 mm-hmm. just two two months of mud oh yeah last April, evan was riding the atv back and forth on our road and it got so bad that you know you'd step in there in your rain boots and you'd go up to your knees in the mud i mean uh, you'd get stuck wow yeah i i had to carve a trail through the woods to get the atv uh back up and down because the the road was just totally unusable so what what does the future hold for you guys are you going to do another big adventure or is the homesteading your big adventure i think for the foreseeable future uh we're going to be focusing on the homestead and sticking close to home but um but we do plan on taking at least one big trip per year. So maybe like a two week hiking trip, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think truth is that hiking will always be a part of us. And I'm constantly thinking about trail, you know, and it's definitely going to be a balance for us. We have chickens now, but I'm hesitant to get too many animals, you know, so we don't get too tied down here, but we both want kids. I I think that we could still make it work and and we want to hike the Appalachian Trail with our kids one day. You know, yeah. I think you learn oh. much more there in the woods than you ever would mm-hmm. at school sitting at a desk. So that would be awesome. I think when your when your real life is an adventure, there's less desperation to go somewhere else and have some big adventure. Maybe I think just teaching them, you know, how to how to cope with yourself through the outdoors, you know, how to become mentally stable by using the outdoors, you know? So as we kind of bring this to a close, think about advice for other hikers. You know, I'm in, I'm in several of the Appalachian trail uh, 
Facebook groups and, you know, every day somebody is posting, what shoes do I wear? What, you know, this, how much that? And, and it's obvious that a lot of people out there have no experience. And also there's a lot of people that are craving some sort of hero's journey adventure, like hiking the Appalachian mm-hmm. Trail. So for other people, you know, like yourself that maybe didn't or don't have a vast amount of outdoor or backpacking or overnight experience um, and want to do something like that that's so epic, what kind of advice uh, or admonitions would you give them? Mm, this, is, this is a lot. I have a few things brewing. Um, I think a lot of folks go out there and a lot of YouTubers I've noticed don't show all the bad moments on trail. So I think a lot of people have notions that trail is going to be like the most wonderful place on earth and everything's going to, you know, happen perfectly. But the reality is like, you know, 80% of the trail is going to be, a suck fest. It's gonna be really hard. A, uh, a, mental a battle. A suck fest. It's, <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be a rugged mind game eighty percent of the time, and I think that's the biggest blessing. That's where the magic lies in overcoming that and realizing that inner strength. And you know, I think. As a woman going out there, I realized I was way tougher than I knew I could be. And I realized I had certain superpowers that other folks didn't. I had a lot of mental stability out there. And maybe I wasn't the fastest hiker, but I think that mental fortitude really served me strong on those rainy, cold, wet Mm -hmm. days. That has to be great for your self esteem. Yeah. It really, helps us today on the homestead as Mm -hmm. well, knowing that nothing's impossible and, you know, you just have to Mm -hmm. keep moving forwards to the next place. For me, I I would say as advice, don't rush the hike. Just remember to take it all in. Even on the bad days, I always tried to think to myself that, you know, I'm still, so lucky to be here and um i'd still so much rather be here than sitting in cubicle somewhere yeah just uh take things as they come try not to wish the hike away especially um you know as you get towards the end you you kind of realize that w- you go through all these um tough experiences yeah, that you're going to miss the time. Just don't wish it all away. Mm-hmm. I totally agree with that. Another thing I noticed on trail is folks who maybe were sacrificing the type of hike they wanted because they wanted to stick with a hiking partner, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of solo hikers maybe ended up trying to stick to a group or or a particular person, but... If you feel like you're sacrificing the type of hike you want, then I think it's time to let go. But 
yeah, just feature to yourself out there and, and know what you are trying to get out of it. That's good advice. And I want to thank you guys for hanging out and sharing all this. And, you know, I, I feel that my life has been enriched by just bumping into you guys in the middle of nowhere. And I'm thankful that, uh, to, you know, be able to call you guys friends and, and, uh, stay in touch with you. Yeah. We definitely feel the same towards you, Ronnie. Yeah. You're a big blessing to us and, and forever grateful you flaked on your Acadia plans for us. Yeah. That was the best decision you ever made. Thanks for joining us today on the Hiker Trash Podcast. If you'd like to support this project, you can go buy a coffee table book or a fine art print. You can do it at our website, localexposuremagazine.com. You can show some love to Scott Lowe. He provided the music for today's episode. You can find him on Instagram at Scott Lowe Songs. Hey, if you enjoy this, tell someone. Send them a text, make a post, talk about it. And stay tuned for the next episode. Thank you.